This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I love standing up here and looking out on this community of people. I love you guys. I'm so excited to spend some time with you today. And if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us as we continue our time together. And it's going to be an absolutely amazing day. I'm so excited to share some time. But before we get started, because I want us all to start this journey from the same starting place, from the same trailhead. So to get us all on the same starting point, I want to just point out a few things that you're going to want to use. The first is this card that says start here. We're going to be using this a little bit later, so go ahead and grab it. And if you've been around for a long time and you're just staring at me, just remember the lights are on. I can see you. So when I invite you to go ahead and grab it, this would be the time that you'd go ahead and grab it. So go ahead and grab it. Uh, Put your name on it. If you're a guest with us, would you put your email address on this? And uh, if I've earned your trust over the next 30 minutes or so, I'm just going to ask you to drop this little card in a basket when it's passed. And let me tell you what this is. This is your all-access pass to our leadership team so that we can pray for you, we can partner with you, we can resource you however you would want to be uh, resourced. This is our connection card. This is how we pray for you, how we engage with you. And we'll be using this a little bit later. So go ahead and get that ready. You're also going to want uh, these teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at today. We're looking at the life of one of my favorite uh, men in the Bible, and it's got his story in here. And then you're going to want to grab this uh, piece of paper. They're multicolored, but we've been using these because we're in this series called Can You Hear Me Now? Exploring and experiencing various ways to hear from God because we believe that God is a speaking God, that God is not distant but is near and that God desires to speak. So we've been looking at unique ways to hear from God and each week we've been riding down in that vehicle that we've been talking about I think I've heard from God here. I, I think he might have actually spoken. And I loved what Ron said last week. Uh, if you make a mistake, it's not fatal. So if you say, I think I heard from God, but I'm not sure, I would say, write it down. It's not fatal. We're not going to come up and fact check you. Uh, we just want to be able to create this like living experience of ways that we as a church have heard from God. And I love that my friend Jessica came in this week and took our various spaces that we've heard from God and created this for us. Doesn't it look fantastic? I love it. I love it. And we've left some space because I think that we're going to actually be filling out the rest of this and probably even more as we continue today. So go ahead and get that ready. And I want to I share something with you, but in order to do it, I'm going to need you to trust me and do something for me, okay? It's not a prank. I haven't told uh, everyone else in the church to only have you do this thing. So don't worry. When I ask you to do it, go ahead and do it. This is a safe place. I want you all to go ahead and just stand up for me. And you're not going to be the only one. Don't worry. Everybody just stand up for me. Don't go running around. This isn't like hug time. Just stand up. And uh, I've got some friends in the back of the room, and I officiated their wedding last summer, and uh, they had this dance. Maybe you've been at this dance where um, they say, if you've been married for, you know, one day, you have to leave the dance floor. You remember that? And then like a year, 10 years, 20 years, and we just hit 10 years, which means we get to stay on through the first verse and into the chorus as my wife and I. It's so fun. Uh, And I'm going somewhere with this. You just have to trust me. Here's what I'd like you to do. Um, uh, You've all been in new life at least once, which is why everyone is standing. But if you've been here uh, five years or less, go ahead and grab a seat. Five years or less, go ahead and grab a seat. Now I'm going to make some of you have to really think, okay? And again, I'm not going to fact check you. I'm not going to fact check you. But if you think you've been here um, for, for nine years or less, go ahead and have a seat. Nine years, when would that be? Let's see, that'd be like 2008. 2008, you're like, huh, <laughs> huh. Um... All right, I'm still standing, by the way. 14 years. 
I'm sorry, 13 years, 364 days or less. Go ahead and sit down because I've been here for 14 years, so I want to stay up. So 13 years or less. Go ahead and sit down. Okay. Um, look at some of you guys. Okay, how about this? Uh, if you were here in the 90s, stay standing. The rest of you go ahead and sit down. In the 90s, I was in high school in the 90s. Oh my goodness. If you were here in 1998, stay standing. Friends, today we celebrate. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Yeah, you can wave at each other because you are here. This is very, we're, very, we're getting ready for the Super Bowl. You're very clappy today. That's fantastic. I love it. Today we celebrate our 19-year anniversary as a church. 19 years. Just awesome. And here's what I've come to realize. Uh, for some of us, that's like, yay, 19 years. You know, like if it's your first week, you're like, okay, that's cool, I guess. If you've been here 10 years or more, you're thinking, wow, I've been around for a long time. If you were here when we started this beautiful, little, like, is this going to work out community, and you hear we've been here for 19 years, you're in awe of what God has done in and through this community. And it's just, isn't it true that, that the, the longer you're in a community, the more invested you are in relationships, the more meaning you find, the more life you find, the more it's like, oh my gosh, we are part of something grander than ourselves. I've been part of this church for 14 years. I started coming here when I was 21 years old. Uh, I, I had a tongue ring. I had my ears gauged. You could put pencils through my ears. I had bleached, spiked hair. You were as likely to see me having a cigarette outside the Phoenix before a safe Ferris concert as you were to see me in church singing worship, which is why I tell you, if you're driving out Bodega and you see some like teenagers crossing the street outside of the crosswalk, don't run them over. They could be your next senior pastor. They really could. Just trust me. And I remember walking through these doors and joining this community at 21, and it was the first time in a church where I felt like I belong. Not because of who I could be, not because of what people saw might happen. I belong right here today. And there was safety there, and there was freedom there. And I stood in the back, and I greeted you guys coming in. Yeah, thank you. I see that. I see that hand. I stood in the back, and I greeted you guys coming in, and I just teared up over and over again because of the way that this community is a, you belong here now, not because of what you could be, not because of what you could offer, but because of who you are today and because of how God sees you today. And I love that about us. I love that about us, and I'm looking forward to 20 years to come what we'll be talking about then. Can you imagine if you're going to be here and we'll stand up? If you've been here for 40 years, you'll be like, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I told Jake, our student pastor, he's, he's like, I don't know, 15. He, no, he's 24. I said to Jake, our student pastor, at our 60-year anniversary, you're going to be the only one, I think, still around. The rest of us, like, unless I'm going to, you know, 105 and still going, um, same haircut, but I said, but you better celebrate on that 60-year anniversary of our church. You better celebrate. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. What I want to talk about today is the reality that everything's better together. That Christianity has always been a team sport. 
It's never been an individual sport. Christianity is better together than it could ever be apart. And because of that, because God knew that, because God designed us that way, wouldn't it make sense that as we talk about hearing from God, that one of the key ways we hear from God is through community? We've already talked about the fact that God speaks to us through the Bible. He, he gives us principles and insights and guidelines. And then here's the amazing thing about God. He trusts us enough to give us principles and insight to fill us with his Holy Spirit and then to give us the freedom to choose and direct and move. But he speaks to us through his word. Ron reminded us last week that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, that he guides and leads, and then he invites us to take steps, trusting that we've heard. And it's so great. I'd never heard someone say before, and if you misstep, it's not fatal, because how many of us get stuck behind door number one or door number two, and we freeze up and we never move, because we don't want to make the wrong choice, marry the wrong person, take the wrong job. Could it be that God is actually doing what God says he's going to do and working all things together for good? So you could step through door one, and he meant for you to go through door two, and all of a sudden you wind back around here. I mean, this is my story. This is my story. I remember uh, graduating college. I interned with uh, a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship up at Sonoma State. I was the college pastor there, volunteering, so the price was right, so they took me on. And uh, the end of that volunteer year, I loved what I was doing. Uh, I was this, you know, love, love Jesus, trying to figure things out. Um, I, I remember taking my first small group. It was half Christians and, and half folks who were, were checking things out, but, but wouldn't say they were Jesus followers. We're doing the small group together. And, um, and one of my favorite brooding bands was Dashboard Confessional. I don't know if anyone remembers Dashboard Confessional. But here's what I'll tell you. If you ever get your heart broken, Dashboard Confessional is your group, okay? They, you just turn that music up and you just feel horrible for yourself for years, years. And so my life group, I remember Dashboard Confessional was playing at this little dive down in San Francisco. So I took my life group to a Dashboard Confessional concert. I said, let's skip life group tonight. Who needs to study the Bible? Dashboard is playing. So we go down to this little dive, all these freshmen, 17, 18 year old, I'm, you know, 21. And, uh, and we're outside and I light up a cigarette and half of them look at me because they're not old enough to smoke. And they're like, oh, geez. And the other half are like, can I have one? I'm like, sure. So I'm their dealer, right? I'm like, try this kid the most unlikely person to become a pastor. And this guy looked at me, one of the college pastors there, and he said, I see something in you. And he said to me, would you come be my, my roommate? Would you come live with me? And this guy's like 25, 26. And it's this weird hodgepodge of guys. It was myself. It was a guy who would later become a priest. True story. This is where jokes usually start, but no, it was, it was a pastor and a priest. Uh, it, was, it was another guy who was about to graduate who, for Christmas, his dad gave him a beer-making kit. First time he'd ever tried it. He started making beer. He became one of the, the, um, the chief brew masters at Russian River Brewery. Uh, like, his job line totally changed that Christmas. He was going to be a police officer. <laughs> it's a true story. And me. And at the end of this volunteer year, he said to me, I think God is inviting you into ministry. My plan was to go back to Southern California, get my teaching credential, become a teacher, become a principal. Like my dad wanted to be like Mike, uh, you know, because principal, the last three letters are pal. The principal is your pal. I was always in the principal's office, so I thought, well, I'm already used to the office. I might as well just take the job. (laughs) 
He said, no, I see something in you. God is using you. Now there's some rough edges around you, but God is using you. And, and I'm telling you, that word spoken into my life from someone changed the direction of my life. And 15 years later, I get to stand here with you and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Christianity has always been a team sport, so wouldn't it make sense that God speaks to us through others? Here's the big idea. God wants to speak to you through other people. Sociologists tell us that you and I are the average of our five closest friends. So when you, if you look at your five closest friends— your finances are usually, on average, right in the middle of your five closest friends. Uh, your morality is usually right in the middle of your five closest friends. Your parenting is kind of right in the middle of your five closest friends. Your marriage usually falls somewhere in the middle. It's the average of your five closest friends. Why? Because we're shaped by those around us. Could it be that God wants to use those around us to shape us, to hear from him, to follow him, to trust him, to know him? Solomon, who was uh, a king in the Old Testament of the Bible, he wrote this book called Proverbs. And Proverbs is not a, a book of promises so much as it is a book of generally speakings. Generally speaking. So he says, hey, if you want to hedge your bets, do what I say. If, if you want to, to, to make it a little bit, a little bit better chances that you're going to get the life you want, do the things I say. That's a proverb, proverbially speaking, hedging your bets. Here's what he says about relationships, and we've talked about this before. He says, walk with the wise. This is Proverbs 13. Walk with the wise, and you will become wise, generally speaking, because we're the average of our five closest friends. But a companion of fools suffers harm. So he says, but there's a warning. You're the average of your five closest friends. We said it this way at New Life before. You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Show me the people you surround yourself with, and I will show you the direction of your life. What a beautiful gift God gave us in community to shape that direction, to speak to us. The Bible is full of story after story after story of God using people to speak to people. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through his word, and then he speaks through his people talking to his people. And I want to talk today about the life of someone named David. And I want to talk about three voices that David had in his life and one venue. He had three voices, three different distinct voices speaking into his life, and he had one venue, one vehicle with which to experience these voices. And I'll say this, these are sequential, these three voices. Here's what I mean by that. If you have someone in your life and they are not doing voice one and voice two, you do not want them to be voice three. You might say I do because that's the right Christian answer. Oh yeah, this is what I want. Oh yeah, that's good. No, without voice one and voice two, voice three will seem like nothing more than condemnation, shame-inducing, guilt-inducing, judgmental. How many of us either have thought about Christians this way or have been Christians this way or have experienced community this way. Wow, you seem so judgmental, condescending, guilt-inducing. Why? Because they were not voice one and voice two. They were only voice three. And so when we do these, please, if you're drawn to voice three, just make sure you're one and two. You know, I, I joke with people sometimes. They're like, man, Christianity gets a lot of people shooting at it. I said, well, stop giving them bullets for the gun. You know, it's like if you want them to stop shooting at you, stop loading the ammo for them by being voice three. Be voice one and two. 
God will open the door for voice three. Here's the backstory on David. Before David was king, there was a guy named Saul who was king. Saul, he was a mixed bag. He was a mixed bag. Ultimately, in the end, he turned away from God. He dishonored God. God said, you're no longer going to be my king. I want David to be my next king. But before David was king, David was the youngest son of seven. David was the, I get the hand-me-down robes, I get all the hand-me-down books, I get all the jobs my brothers don't want, I get picked on and beat up. No, mom and dad, please don't leave me to have my brothers babysit me. That was David. Youngest of seven. Kind of looked down on. Not a whole lot of future for him. And God says to this guy named Samuel, go to Bethlehem. Because David's family lives in Bethlehem. And go to the family of Jesse, that's David's dad. Because one of his sons is going to be the next king of the nation of Israel. And so I want you to go, look at the sons, line them up, and find the king. So he does. He goes through, meets up with Jesse, lines up the sons, and he looks at the first one, the oldest. We line them up in order, because birth order was a big deal to the, the Jewish people. Lines them up in birth order. Puts up the first one. God says, it's not him. Put him down. Just watched Cinderella with my kids. It's like trying on the glass slipper. Kept trying on the glass slipper. Boop! Kept bouncing off. Son two. Sorry. <laughs> when your pastor has an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, these are the references you get. Son two, not the right one. Son three, not the right one. Son four, son five, son six, not the right one. There is no son seven. So Jesse, uh, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, is this everybody? Is this all you got? Jesse looks around for a second and he says, well, I mean, no, there's, there's this one other kid, David. But I don't think he's really the right guy for you. I, no, he's not here. Well, where is he? Jesse says, well, he's out tending the sheep. Because who wants to pick up the sheep stuff? Like, the youngest. Pick, he's out picking up poop. And again, when you have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, these are the stories you get. That's where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel 16. Jesse says to him, are these all your sons? Well, no, they're still the the youngest, Jesse said. He's out tending the sheep, tending the sheep. Samuel said to him, well, send for him. I will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And this is the description of David. He was glowing with health, fine in appearance, handsome features. And the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. For those of you who like essential oils, this is your verse. Anoint him. This is, he is, that's your verse, that's your life verse right there. Anoint him, get this, in the presence of his brothers. They weren't happy. From this day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel looked at David Samuel looked at David. Here's what everybody else saw when they saw David. Everybody else saw the youngest of seven, never amount to anything, a shepherd. They saw just a musician, right, playing his harp, not really any ambition. They saw a a punk kid who would never amount to much. They saw a conceited teenager. Who does he think he is? That's what his brother said to him a little bit later in the story. Who do you think you are? saying you can fight a giant. You are so full of yourself. This is what everybody else saw when they saw David. But what did Samuel see? 
Samuel looked at David, and he saw the thumbprint of God laid over the life of a young boy. And he called out the thumbprint of God in David, right where he was. And that's the first voice we all need in our lives. We all need someone that God uses to point out God's unique thumbprint in our life. We need these people to come along and say, you're not just the youngest of seven. You're not just a shepherd. You're not just a punk kid. You're not just an arrogant teenager. You're not just a musician. You're not just anything. You are seen by God, called by God, grabbed by God, loved by God. You're not just anything. Here's why we need that in our lives, because Jesus tells us that we have an enemy of our lives, an enemy of our soul, the devil. He's called, this is one of his titles, the accuser of the saints, the accuser. And what does he do? He comes along, he separates you from the herd, and he says things like this to you. You're just the sum and total of your greatest mistake. You're just a nobody in a dead-end job. You're just condemned to your current situation, your current kids, your current finances, your current marriage. You're just unlovely, unlovable, unlikable. You're just a failure, and you're failing at everything you do. You ever have those voices in your head, and you think, where'd that come from? We're told that the devil is the accuser of the saints who loves to pull you aside and say, you're just. And every one of us needs people in our lives to say, you're not just anything. You are a child of God. You are royalty in the kingdom of heaven. You are a daughter of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You are not forgotten. The thumbprint of God might be smudged. It might be faded. It might be way down deep. And every one of us needs friends in our life who can look at us right where we are and not say, fix this, fix that, fix this, and then you'll be something. Every one of us needs someone in our lives to call out the reality of who we already are in God. I wonder how David's life would have turned out if Samuel had not spoken the thumbprint of God. Fast forward in the story a little bit. David is still not king, but he's a war hero now. He, he killed this giant, and if you want to read the story, you can read all about it. He killed this giant named Goliath, and then he goes on to become this hero. In fact, people wrote songs about him. Here's what the songs said, and it's, it's, it's captured in this ancient text. It said, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his, and this is what they said, his tens of thousands. Saul knows he's on his way out. He knows David's on his way in, and now the groundswell of popularity is going towards David, and Saul is none too happy about it. So Saul tries to kill David, 
He runs him off. David flees for his life with 600 of his friends. God's promised to make him king. God's promised to do great things in his life. God's promised he's anointed him. Now David's living in a cave. He's got 600 friends with him who have bet their life on him, and they're all running for their life. And this is one of those moments where you just have to wonder if David thought to himself, this is not what I signed on for. This is not what I was told following God was going to be like. I was promised rainbows and unicorns if I became a Jesus follower, and it's not. It's, there's a storm a-brewing, and I don't think I'm going to get through. I want to pick up on maybe one of David's worst days to look at the second voice in his life. And it's in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. David was at Horish in the de- desert of Ziph. He learned that Saul had come to take his life. And then God uses a unique friend, Saul's son, Jonathan. And he went to David and he helped him. Notice what it says. You can, you can underline that. You can circle it. You can put an emoticon next to it, whatever you got to do. He helped him find strength in God. And he said to him on verse 17, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. My father knows these things. The second voice that we all need is this one. God uses people to remind us of the truth that God has already spoken to us. And sometimes we need reminding of the truth that God has already spoken. David's lost sight of where he's going. He's lost sight. He's lost his anchor point. He's freaking out. And God uses this friend, the son of his enemy. And he says, you might not see God's promise in your life today. I'm going to tell you it's still there. I'm going to tell you, I know what God promised you. I know what God said to you. I know, I know how God led you to this point. Because isn't it true that when we go through tough times in our lives, when we go through um, tragedy in our lives, that our worlds just close in and our perspective shrinks down and it becomes hard to see what was behind us and what could be ahead of us because our life just feels so closed in around us. In those moments, every one of us needs a friend to say, I know where God has brought you from, and I'm telling you, I'm going to stand in faith to tell you where God is taking you to. We need people to strengthen us. I love the way that Larry Osborne is a pastor down in San Diego. He says, we all have moments in our lives that he calls need to know or need to grow moments. Moments of of tension, of struggle, where we need something. We We need to know something from God. We need to grow in some area of our lives. And the good news that we talked about a few weeks ago is that God has given us principles in the Bible to meet our needs in those need to know and need to grow moments. The bad thing is the Bible's a big book. And very few of us know everything it says. Maybe Pastor Ron, but like nobody else, maybe. Like he and I were joking. He gave me a commentary for the book of Galatians because we're going to be pressing into Galatians on Wednesday nights in our Mac community. He gave me a commentary on Galatians. He says, this commentary is so helpful uh, in the places where I just get stuck in a Bible verse and I don't know, like, I don't know what to do or what it means. And I said, 
You mean like in that one verse where you don't have it memorized in the King James and NIV? Like that one verse in the Bible, he was like, oh, that's so funny. I was like, well, I'm just saying, Ron, you know a lot of the Bible. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm happy for you. But he's my Bible answer man. He's my go-to guy. But even Ron needs help. If Ron needs help, don't the rest of us need help? (laughs) The Bible's a big book. We don't know all of it. We don't know all of it. I, I have spent probably 25 hours in the book of Galatians in the last month. 25 hours. In six chapters, people. That's a lot. And every time I read it, it's like, oh, there's that. Oh, there's more. Oh, my gosh. Why didn't I see that? Here's the great thing about community. When we have community around us, and we hit one of these moments where I need to know something from God, or I need to grow somewhere, we're not limited to our own perspective, our own lenses, our own understanding of God. All of a sudden, we have people around us who can say, hey, can I fill that picture in a little more? Can I give you a new color for that picture? Because you're seeing it in black and white, but I'm telling you it's in technicolor. Can I, can, I, can I just help you understand a little more of what's going on? We need these people. We need them. Otherwise, our life is limited to our perspective. And when we hit tension moments, trial moments, moments where we don't understand, if all we've got is us, we're in trouble. That's when the enemy plucks us out by ourselves and starts lying to us. So we need friends like that. Now, fast forward to the third one. David is now king. Here's what I love about David. This guy, he is beautifully human. You ever read the stories in the Bible and you think, wow, they seem very cardboard cut out? Not David. If you read David's life, he is beautifully human, four-dimensional. He is, he is a, like, hopes, dreams, high highs, low lows. He did a lot of great stuff. He had a lot of failures. Here's the thing I love about David. David says, or God says about David, he is a man after my own heart. In the highs and in the lows. Why? Because he seeks me in the process. Well, I just want to talk about one of the lows. All David's men go off to war, and David is a warrior king. That is what he did. That's what he, how he made his name. But this year, he decides not to go off to war. Instead, he hangs out on the rooftop, And he sees this lady. She's married. He calls her over. He has an affair with her. Um, I tend to believe that when the king calls you over and says, I want to have sex with you, in that time, you didn't say no. So I don't think she was a, like a charlatan looking uh, to move up in life. I I tend to believe that he he made her an offer that she literally could not refuse for threat of, of life. So he takes her. He has sex with her. She gets pregnant. Now, remember the 600 men I talked about earlier? Her husband is one of those 600 men. Followed David. He loved David. He tries to make things right, can't do it. He tries to call the guy home, says, you sleep with her so that no one will know I got her pregnant. They'll think you got her pregnant. The guy says, no, man, I'm fighting. I can't go and be with my wife while my men are out fighting. So, So David writes a letter, sends his friend back to war, and has his friend murdered. Talk about a low point in your life. If you ever thought, I'm too screwed up to walk with God, Maybe that story gives you comfort. Because this is a man after God's own heart who did not have a perfect life, but authentically seeked God, sought God. So God sends a guy named Nathan, a prophet, to David. And he's the third type of voice that sometimes we need in our life. Here's the story, and I'll try to be brief. The Lord said to, sent Nathan to David. 
When he came to him, he said, let me tell you a story, David. There were these two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. The poor man had nothing except a little lamb. And he raised it, and it grew up with him and with his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. A traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from giving one of his own sheep, one of his own cattle, to prepare a meal for the traveler who came. Instead, he took this little lamb from this poor man, and he prepared it and gave it to the man. He killed another guy's sheep. The guy only had one sheep. This guy had a whole flock of sheep. And David heard the story, and he burned with anger against this man. And he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. And Nathan looked at David and he said to him, it's like, oh, you are this man. And it said David's heart was cut. He realized what he had done. And he began a process of restoration with God. Here's why I tell this story, because none of us is immune to destructive choices in our lives. None of us. In fact, some level of awareness of that is a helpful thing. If we think we are immune, like, I could never do that. I would never do that. I'm finding more and more in my time in ministry and in my time in living, so I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about here. More and more, I realize, given the right set of circumstances, the right choices, I could see any of us falling into all sorts of things that we think, I I I never thought I'd be that person. I never thought I'd do that thing. Because there are these two natures dueling within us. We're going to talk about how to find freedom from that on these Wednesday night gatherings because freedom is not found where we think it is. We think freedom is found in all sorts of laws and rituals and rules, but freedom is not found there. In fact, that actually leads us down the wrong path. Freedom is found somewhere else. But I'm not going to tell you where unless you come to Wednesday nights. (laughs) Could you imagine a friend? Because none of us is immune to it. Could you imagine a friend? who was a category one friend who continually called out God's thumbprint in you? Who was a category two friend who when when the waves of life really started shaking your boat was able to come and be an anchor for you and say, I see where God has brought you. I see where God is sending you. You're going to be okay. Could you imagine if that person was also a category three friend who when the wheels started to fall off in your life just said to you, hey, I love you. It seems like the wheels are starting to come off. And a friend like that, who not only saw that the wheels were coming off, but also stuck with you to put the wheels back on. Could you imagine the heartache that person could save you? The untold pain that you wouldn't have to walk through with a friend who said, I actually know you. I know you. I can see something's going on. Let's just talk about it. This is safe. I believe in you. I trust you. We're in this together. I'm not going to leave you no matter what. Can we just talk? Could you imagine having a safe place like that who could say, hey, I think the wheels are about to fall off and then sticks with you to get the wheels back on? Man, the untold pain that they could save us when God speaks through them, it's incalculable. And God invites us to, he speaks to us 
through people. And, and these are just three of kind of the, the key voices that we have in our lives. There are more, but these are three key ones that build safety, that build space. Now, I want to talk about one venue. How do we find these places? Well, the New Testament gives us one venue for where to find these voices. They call it the church. The church literally is translated the gathering. In the New Testament, there were these things called gatherings that gathered together, that shared life together, that knew each other, and they were very different than new life. I just want to be clear about this. When you read in the New Testament about these gatherings, these churches that start up, they were, they were like house gatherings, 30 people, 40 people, 20 people, 50 people, where everybody knew everybody. I loved, when I said if you've been here from 98 on, I loved those of you who were standing up, looked at each other, and like waved and smiled because you know each other. But I guarantee those of you who have been here from 98 on, you look around this room and you think, I don't know half the people in this room, three quarters of the people in this room. And we're happy, you're happy that we're here, but you don't, we don't know each other. Why? New life is actually not what they had in mind in, in this New Testament gathering. In fact, new life is kind of an anomaly even in churches in our country. I'll just tell you, did you know that churches that, that are roughly five to 600 people a week or more in weekly attendance, did you know that they make up only 4% of churches in the United States? Like, we're, this is something to be, I don't know, it just is what it is. Like, we are an anomaly because we have five to 600 folks a week. Churches our size and greater, only 4% of churches in the country are this size gathering. And there's great benefit to it. As we move together, we can do more good. We can have more influence. If you don't believe me, ask Redwood Gospel Mission. Ask COTS, the Committee on the Shelter List. Um, ask our kids' ministry in the zone. Ask our kids' ministry in kids' life. Is it good to be a large community that can resource our kids? Yes, it is. But there's downsides to being this size. One of the downsides is we can't, in this context, have the type of knowing each other that is conducive to have these voices in our lives. Now, I believe in Sunday worship. If I didn't, I would not be doing this every week. This is part of teaching. This is part of training and learning. I I love what I get to do. Are you kidding me? If you keep coming, I'll keep talking. I love what I get to do. (laughs) Thank you for clapping. (laughs) But this is not the best venue to really be known by someone. You know what the closest thing? You probably guessed. You know what the closest thing is to the New Testament churches? We call them life groups. Hey, I heard a life group leader like, whoop. (laughs) Life groups. Life groups are are gatherings where we know, where we're known, where we're safe, where we don't have to pretend, where masks can come off. And it takes time, which is why we used to do 12 weeks and then you'd split up, 12 weeks and split up. There's benefit because we got to study multiple things. The great downside is you cannot build safety in 12 weeks, right? Right? So we made a shift. We said, hey, you know what? We tried that for a few years. That was not the best way to go. We believe that community, safety of this gathering is more important than being able to to have a cornucopia of different choices that you study for 12 weeks. Because transformation happens when safety is felt, when we're known by other people. So we got to stick together. So we form these communities. It's not the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's It's just a venue that God gave the church to do the things that those early New Testament gatherings did. 
meet together, eat together, share life together, talk together. I was meeting with a, a group of friends. There were five of us together last night. Our kids are running around playing, um, and we're just talking. And I, I just thought, I had this, this, just this momentary thing, and I thought, I feel so safe here. And I got to tell you, as your pastor, there are very few places where I can feel totally unguarded to say, hey, I don't, tell me what you think about politics, and I'll tell you what I think about it. Because I don't know who I'm going to upset if I say that. Saved it. (laughs) But I sat with these friends last night. I thought, oh, this, this is what, this is what God had in mind. This is what safety looks like. This is where God speaks. And I loved it. That's why I can, I can give them a hard time about essential oils because we're safe. Are you in that kind of community? Life groups, it's not a guarantee, but it's the best vehicle we have as a church. It's the best vehicle we have to find a group of people and to experiment. It might take five, six, ten groups before you find the one that's the right fit. But once you find that gathering, I'm telling you, that's where these voices come out. That's where you can have voices one and voices two so that it's not just voice three that feels condemning and judgmental because that never changed anybody's life. I can stand up here and say all day long, don't do this, don't do that, don't do... And you know what? I'd be right. But it would not change your life. You'd just walk out feeling worse about yourself. Community, community, community is how God speaks. So, transitionally speaking, I want to talk about community for a second, and then we're going to say goodbye for today. Go Falcons. I meant go Patriots. I'm so, not a safe place. My bad. My bad. Go Bears. Hey, on the bottom of your Start Here card, we're going to do two different venues of groups this spring. One of them is going to be message-based life groups. We've been doing these for years now. It's where we get together, we form community, we talk about the message. Um, we're going to do that again, but we're also doing this Wednesday night gathering called Mac. Either is going to be great for you. I trust God to speak to you about where to go for your gathering. Either is going to be great. But let me talk about message-based groups. Um, We're going to have less message-based groups this round because a number of groups are going to be joining me on Wednesday nights for Mac. So next week, you're going to see like a list of groups, but you'll probably see five to seven open groups that you could join as opposed to 25 or 30. But that's because a number of our groups are here on Wednesday nights. But if you want to jump into a community and Wednesday nights don't work for you, uh, Galatians doesn't seem that engaging to you, you just think, you know what, I want to look more deeply into the message. We're going to be talking about marriage and relationships in this next round. Uh, We're going to talk about a number of different things. If you think message-based groups are the way to go, uh, I'd love for you to mark down, I want information on sermon-based life groups. If you mark that down, we're going to send you a PDF this week of our various message-based life groups that are happening this spring, our offering. So you can look at it, days of the week, demographic, that kind of stuff. And then next week when you come to New Life, you'll be able to sign up for a life group. Next week, you'll also be able to join, sign up for Mac on Wednesday nights if you want to. And I'll say this, I think either one, and I'm not just saying this, I think either one could be just really a beautiful thing. Because freedom happens in the context of community and authenticity and engaging with God together. So it's a win-win. But I want to invite you, if you're thinking about, I'm not in community. I've been in this church for a long time, but I look around and I know like one other person and it's my spouse. (laughs) Then you might not have that safe place. And maybe life groups could start that. Maybe, maybe. Why not try it out?
I'm going to pray for us in just a second. Before I do, I want to tell you this. I, I look in this room, and I genuinely am brought to tears because I look at you, and I see God's thumbprint in your life. I see it. I look at you, and I think, yes, 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 I, yes, I see it, I see it. And I wonder if there's some of us here today, and you need me to be that number one friend that says to you today, God actually is here in your life, moving. I wonder if you need that. Maybe you're here and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God because you didn't know God's thumbprint was on you. Can I tell you, it is. It is. And having that realization of God's transforming love is a game changer. And if you're ready to say yes to him, he wants to walk in relationship with you. He's he's done all the work to bring you back to himself. He wants to reveal himself in you. If you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to pray right now and give you a chance to do that. I see my guest services team back there. We're not going to go just yet, but I love that you're standing. You're like King David. I'll stay standing until you call me forward. I love that. Um, So just hang out for a second. We're going to double pray this bad boy. But if that's you and you're ready to say yes to him, you you can start it. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. God, I want to walk with you. It'll it'll change everything. It won't always make life easier, but I'm telling you, walking with God will make it better, freer, fuller. If you're ready to make that decision, you can pray. You can repeat the simple prayer after me. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for joy. Thank you for community. Thank you that you invite me to partner with you, to walk with you. You could say these words, just say, thank you, God, that you loved me so much, that you gave your life for me. to create the space for me to be adopted back into the family of God. Thank you that you see me, that you love me, and that you are forgiving me. Would you come and fill me with your Holy Spirit, God? Would you show me what it looks like to partner with you on this journey of life? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.